Well, at this time, if you would take your Bibles, if you have one, and uh, turn to the Gospel according to John. John chapter number 15 is where we'll be this morning. John chapter number 15. And as we're turning there, if you're able to stand, would you join me in standing for the reading of God's Word? John chapter number 15. And if you're around somebody that doesn't look like they have a Bible, if you want to kind of lean over and, and share yours with them, so that they can see. John chapter number 15, and we'll be reading verses 12 through verse number 17. John 15 verse 12 says, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. And with that, let's pray one more time together. Lord, we're grateful to be in your house. Lord, thank you for the songs that we've sung already this morning about the fact that you are the friend and you will be with us until the end and that you know about all our struggles. And Lord, thank you that uh, you are the God and you are faithful to us. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, guide us and direct our thoughts this morning as we focus on our friendship with you. Help us, Lord, to be a good friend of God. And Lord, I ask that you would, again, guide and direct and speak to our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So today is Friend Day here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. And I realized yesterday when I went to that great, very nutritious place for breakfast, Dunkin' Donuts, uh, that today is also National Coffee Day. And I thought, you know, how appropriate. Friend Day, National Coffee Day. That's kind of interesting that they would fall on the same day because I know for many, they are one and the same. <laughs> uh, there's no greater friend to some people than a nice cup of coffee in the morning. How many of you love coffee so much that you would consider it as one of your BFFs? Would you raise your hand? I knew there would be a few hands up. Yes. Uh, I can drink coffee. I, I am a social drinker when it comes to coffee. <laughs> um, I don't drink it very often. Um, but anyway, uh, I knew that most people, that one of their closest friends in life is that caffeine. Well, as I considered this topic of friends, I thought of some of the different types of friends that we have in our lives. I know most of us who are on Facebook, and most of us are, uh, we have Facebook friends. I looked today, and I realized that I have 583 friends, and I went, wow, I didn't realize I was that popular, and I'm really not, uh, but I just kind of find random people and ask them to be my friends. No, that's not really what happens. But if you're like me, some of your Facebook friends, maybe you haven't even, even met them in person. 
Maybe you know them from a, from a friend of a friend of a friend. Um, so we have these Facebook friends. Uh, there are friends that we went to school with. Um, some of us are here today uh, because we went to school with one of our friends. Uh, w there are friends that we go to church with, and, and uh, my closest friends here in Oklahoma are in this room. Uh, there are, uh, maybe you had a friend that you grew up with that would be considered your best friend, and I had a friend like that. We met in fourth grade. We were both uh, fans of the same football team, and that, that was the common bond that led us all the way through Bible college. And, uh, and then after that, we kind of went our separate ways. Uh, we have, if you're here and you're married this morning, hopefully your very best friend in the whole wide world is your spouse. Well, there's a friendship that I want to talk about this morning that is totally different than any of the ones I just mentioned. And that is a friendship with God. A friendship with God. Is that even possible? I mean, to have a friendship, to be, a friendship with God or to be a friend of God, is that even possible? Well, here's what James in, in his book uh, of the Bible said. He said, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So Abraham had the title of being the friend of God, and if Abraham could be a friend of God, certainly you and I can be a friend of God as well. In this passage we just read in John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17, he refers to his disciples, Jesus does, as his friends. So it's entirely possible to be friends with God. Not only is it possible, by the way, it's God's desire and plan for my life and for yours to be his friends. God wants us to be his friends, to be a friend of God. And so this morning from this portion of scripture, we're going to look at five truths briefly on what it means to be a friend with God. How to be a friend of God. First of all, I want us to notice number one here in this passage in verse number 12, the expectation of our friendship. And if you, if you notice in your bulletin, we, we put an outline in there to help you kind of follow along. And if you'd like to take notes, it's there if you would like to use that. But number one here in uh, verse 12 and verse 17, we see here the expectation of our friendship. And that expectation is that we would love one another. In verse 12, this is my commandment, that ye love one another. In verse 17, he ends this passage by saying, these things I command you that ye love one another. As we look through the Bible and we study the Word of God, we are commanded, we see that we're commanded multiple times to love God and then to love others. You see, our love for God should produce a love in our hearts for those around us as well. Your Bible is open to chapter 15. If, if you just look back to chapter 13, it may be a page or two back, but I want us to look here at John chapter 13, verse 34. John 13 and verse 34 says, A new commandment I give unto you. And what is that new commandment? That ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. You know, a lot of people say, well, I want people to know that I'm a Christian. How do I do that? 
Well, Jesus says the way that people are going to know that you're my disciples, the, people, the way that people are going to know that you're a Christian is by the way that you treat me. So the expectation of our friendship is to love one another. Romans 13 and verse number 8, Paul said this, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul said, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men. So God wants us to love one another. It's easy to love ourselves, but loving one another, that's a different story. There's a statement on your outline this morning, and I'll show it on the slide here. And that is, being a friend of God means being a friend to others. If you're truly going to be a friend of God, that's going to result in you and I being a friend to one another. If we're going to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, it's going to produce a love for our neighbor as we love ourselves. 1 John 4, 11, John says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. See, this is the expectation of the friendship we have with God. 1 John 3 and verse 23, And this is His commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. So do you understand here this morning that the expectation of our friendship with God is that we would love one another? Back in John 15, verse 12, this is my commandment, that ye love one another. And then he goes on and gives us, number two on your outline, the, the example of true friendship. Again, in verse number 12, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. So he says, I want you to love one another, but now I'm giving you the example, and the example is myself. Jesus saying, as I have loved you, and then he goes on in verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You know, when you consider that God loves us, that's a pretty amazing thought. But it's really amazing when you consider uh, he loved us despite of who we were. I mean, I love my wife, but she's beautiful and, and uh, she's, she does things for me. So it's easy to love someone who does something for you, but is it easy to love someone who is your enemy? It's not easy, and yet that's what God, loves, God tells us to do. He says to love your enemies. And Jesus is not asking us to do something, again, that he is not willing to do himself. Because Jesus loved his enemies, which, by the way, included me and included you. So first of all, here, under the example of true friendship, he loved us despite our condition. He loved us despite of who we were in our condition. Romans chapter number 5, if you have a Bible and you want to turn over there, Romans in chapter number 5, in verse number 5, it says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. 
For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. You know, we've all heard stories of people who've given their lives for a friend, who's given their lives to help someone, um, uh, maybe in the military, who, you know, took a bullet for someone that they loved and cared about. That happens. And that has happened and will continue to happen. And, and that's what this verse is saying. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But then verse 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet, what's the next word? Sinners. Christ died for us. It wasn't that we were these righteous individuals, these people that would do great things for God. That's why he died for us. No, he died for us when we were yet sinners. Going down in verse number nine, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were, and what's the next word after that? Enemies. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So in, back in John chapter 15, verse 13, he says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus was telling them, You're my friends, and I'm about ready to give my life for you on the cross. In just a few hours, by the way, this was written there in the upper room hours before Jesus went to the cross, just the night before. Well, he was calling them friends, but look, Jesus took it another step further and said, not only did I give my life for my friends, but I also gave my life for my enemies. In Romans chapter 5, he tells us that. We were without strength, we were ungodly, we were sinners, we were his enemies. And in spite of our condition, God loved us. Psalm, one, Psalm 14 and verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. And there is none that doeth good. The next verse says, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. So as God looked down from heaven to see if there were any that wanted God in their life, that wanted a relationship with him, here's what he found. He said, they are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. We sang the song this morning, no, not one. Well, when it comes to being a righteous individual, being one that wanted God in their life, as God looked down, there was really none that did good. You see, we're all guilty before the great God of heaven, including me. And yet, in spite of our guilt, in spite of our condition as sinners, he loves us. Because where sin abounds, praise the Lord, grace does much more abound. You know, Jesus was called by the religious elite during his earthly ministry, a friend of sinners. That was not something that was a compliment in that time. No, that was a derogatory term. They were saying, you're a friend of sinners. I can't believe that you would eat with all these publicans and sinners. Well, 
Aren't you glad that they did call him that? Aren't you thankful that he is indeed a friend of sinners? Because that means he can be a friend with me and he can be a friend with you. A small boy defined a friend as someone who knows all about you and likes you just the same. And no one in this whole universe knows you more than Jesus does. And he loves you just the same. In spite of the fact that we're sinners, in spite of the fact that we were born in sin and, and choose to rebel against God, he still loves us. So he loved us despite our condition, but he also loved us despite our course. Because of our condition, we are on a course headed somewhere. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us what that course is. And for sake of time, I'll just go ahead and read it. You don't need to turn over there, but Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, In you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. It says, among whom also we had uh, our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. So in the, because of my condition as a sinner, because of your condition as a sinner, we all deserve a place called hell where God is not there. That's what we all deserve. I don't like it. I wish it wasn't true, but it is. And as your friend, I need to tell you the truth. Amen. You remember, you have those friends that, you know, when you go out to eat, they're like, uh, hey, um, you got something stuck in your tooth right there. You know those friends that actually tell you what you need to know. It's awkward, but you need to know it. I'm trying to be that friend this morning by telling you what you need to know. And you need to know because of my sin and because of yours, we all deserve the wrath of God upon our lives. We all deserve that. But I also am telling you that God loved us in spite of all of that, and he has another way. He has provided a way of salvation, and it's not through religion. It's not through being a church member. It's only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. John chapter six, 3 and verse 16, most of us are familiar with this verse. For God so loved the world. Aren't you thankful for that truth? God told us that he loved us, but he didn't just tell us that he loved us. No, he proved it. Stories told of a woman who left her husband. Husband called the police and filed a missing persons report. Well, a few weeks later, the police found her a, a few counties over. They asked him if he wanted them to take uh, him to her. By now, the husband had realized how poorly he had treated his wife, and, and so he decided to write his wife, and he did for, for many months. Well, finally, Christmas came, and he, went, he actually went to go see her, and she was staying in a rundown hotel. He asked her to come home, and... And she did. On the way home, he said, you know, 
I've written you for months. Why, didn't, why did you come home so easily when I showed up? And she replied, well, because those were just letters. This time you came in person. And you know, God didn't just tell us that he loved us. He came to us in person, didn't he? I realize we're not quite in Christmas season, although some stores are thinking it is already. Don't start decorating our house, Julie, for Christmas. It's, you just got done decorating for fall. It doesn't quite feel like fall yet, but anyway. But Christmas, when, Jesus, when we celebrate Jesus' birth and the fact that he came in person was a display of God's love. He didn't just tell us he loved us. No, he came in person to tell us. But not only that, he didn't just come in the form of a baby. The greatest demonstration and proof of his love when he was, was when he was nailed to an old rugged cross for your sin and for mine, when he was completely innocent. Jesus did no sin. There was no guile found in his mouth. He was, no, he was completely perfect and completely innocent, and yet he took my place and yours on that cross of Calvary. I read a story here when the California gold fever broke out Back in the late 1800s, uh, a man and his family was living in uh, New England. The man went to California, leaving his wife and son there in New England. Well, as soon as he got on and became successful, he was, he was going to send for them. He was going to say, hey, I, I've made it, and, and uh, it's time to come, and we can, we can make a life here. Well, it was a long time before he, he got to the point where he felt like it was time to call his family over. But at last, he got enough money and, and sent for them. Well, the wife's heart, of course, leapt for joy, and she took her boy to New York, got on, a, got on board a Pacific steamer boat, and sailed away to San Francisco. They had not been long at sea before the cry of, Fire! Fire! rang through the ship, and rapidly it gained on on them. Well, there was a powder magazine on board, and the captain knew the moment the fire reached the powder, every man, woman, and child would perish. So they got out the lifeboats, but unfortunately they were too small. And in a minute, they were immediately overcrowded. The last one was just pushing away when the mother pled with them to take her and her boy. No, we haven't got as many as we can hold. She entreated them so earnestly that at last they said they would, could, they, all right, we'll take one more. Well, do you think she was the one that leapt into the boat and left her boy to die? No, like any good mom would, she seized her boy, gave him one last hug, kissed him, and dropped him over into the boat. My boy, she said, if you live to see your father, tell him that I died in your place. Friend, that is a faint picture of what Christ did for you and for me on the cross of Calvary. It was me that should have died and tasted of all of God's wrath, but instead Jesus took my place. And he laid down his life for us. As he said in John 15 and verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. And in our case, he laid his life down for his enemies. Well, after that, praise the Lord, Jesus was buried, and three days later, 
he rose from the dead and was resurrected in bodily form. That's how he showed us how to love. To love us despite our condition in, in who we were. A lot of times we like to love the people who love us back. I'll scratch your back as long as you scratch mine. No, Jesus said, I will sacrifice so much for you without you doing anything in return. It was unconditional love. If you're here this morning and you've never believed on the name of Christ, may I encourage you and challenge you to make that decision today. Really, that is the most important decision anyone could ever make. There's a lot of big decisions we make in life. I remember when I decided to ask my wife to marry her, what an important and monumental moment that was, an important decision to be sure. The decision to follow the Lord and, and go into uh, ministry was an important one. What kind of vehicle to get? What kind of house to buy? Those are important decisions, yes, but the greatest and most important of them all is the decision that impacts the rest of this life here on earth and also where I spend eternity, and that is the decision to accept Christ as my Savior, to believe on Him alone for my salvation, to stop trusting in my good works and my religion and trust in Him alone. That is the most important decision anybody could ever make. If you're here and you've not made that decision, may I encourage you to make that today on Friend Day 2019 here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. So we see here, first of all, the expectation of our friendship, the example of true friendship, and then number three, quickly this morning, the expression of our friendship. The expression of our friendship. How does one express that they are indeed a friend of God? Is it by wearing a Christian t-shirt? saying, I am a friend of God, or by having a Christian bumper sticker on their car, or by wearing a cross around their neck. Look, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but according to Jesus Christ, our friendship is expressed quite differently. In verse number 13, he says, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. 1 John 3.18 says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. If I were to go around the room and, well, if I were to ask the question this morning, how many of you love Jesus and are a friend of God? I would say most of us would probably raise our hands. But my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue. It's easy to say yes with my, with my words that I love the Lord, but... He says, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. Look, your actions are going to show whether you are indeed a friend of God. And here's a couple ways that Jesus says that we can express our friendship. First of all, through sacrifice. Again, in verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's sacrifice. Willing to sacrifice. Are you willing to sacrifice for the Lord? Look, the Christian life is a life of sacrifice. Jesus said, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. So Jesus is calling us to a life of sacrifice. 
And as a friend of God, we're going to need to be willing to sacrifice some things. When you truly love someone, you're willing to sacrifice for them, aren't you? Going back to my relationship with my wife. There's been many times where I've sensed her love for me in a big way because of the sacrifices that she's made for me. Because look, a life of love is a life of sacrifice. David Livingston, the great missionary of yesteryear, here's what he said. He said, people talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Here was a man who dedicated a good chunk of his life to trying to get the gospel, the life-changing message that I just shared with you regarding what Jesus did on the cross for people. He spent a good chunk of his life doing that in, a, in Africa. And this is, of course, before the days of communication and, and uh, technology. And, and so he was very limited in, in, in what he could do and uh, the communication he could even have with his own family. He said, can that be called a sacrifice, which is simply acknowledging a great debt we owe to our God, which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own reward and helpful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny? It it is emphatically no sacrifice. Rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, danger, forgoing the common convenience of this life, these may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink, but let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing compared with the glory which shall be later revealed in and through us. He said, I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice which which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. C.T. Studd was a little less... uh, Word, wordy in his uh, description here. <coughs> Excuse me. C.T. Studd said, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be do, too great for me to make for him. And isn't that good? God's calling us to a life of sacrifice. There's a song that we sometimes sing here at Cornerstone, and it's I Surrender All, and it says, All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures, all forsaken. Take me, Jesus, take me now. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. As God is calling us to sacrifice to him as part of our friendship, what are you holding on to? So our friendship with God should be expressed through sacrifice. How are you doing as a friend of God? Or are you saying, God, you can have this part of my life, but you can't have all of this. God wants it all. He gave all for us. Certainly, we should be willing to give all for him. So our friendship with God should be expressed through sacrifice. It also should be expressed through submission. Verse number 14 here. If you are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. God's calling us to a life of submission as well as sacrifice. Being willing to obey what the Lord has said. 
if you go back to chapter 14 and verse 15, if you kind of reverse it, so chapter 14 and 15 and chapter 15 and verse 14. So if you happen to be a little dyslexic, either one works because verse 15 of chapter 14 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So God's calling us to a life of submission. As he leads us and guides us and makes his will known to us, are we willing to submit to him? Or are we holding on to our own understanding and saying, God, I'll obey you in this, but not in this area. God wants us to be submissive as his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. The captain of, a, of the ship looked into the dark night and saw faint lights in the distance. And immediately he told his signalmen to send a message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. Well, promptly a return message was, was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. Well, the captain was angry. His command had been ignored. So he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. Soon another message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees south. Or I'm sorry, 10 degrees north. I am seaman third class Jones. Immediately, the captain sent a third message, knowing the fear it would evoke. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Well, then the reply came. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. You know, you can try to tell God to alter his course, but he's not going to change. He is the Lord and he changes not. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you try as you might, you can say, God... You don't know, but look at me. Look at my life. Look at all the areas of my life and, and uh, look at all the circumstances that are going on. You need to alter your course. God's not going to alter his course. You know that whole, that whole deal about how many, how many of you own a cat? A cat. Would you raise your hand? You crazy individuals. <laughs> we recently became puppy parents about a month and a half ago. And uh, that's why I've lost a little bit more hair since the last time. But those cats, right, they like to be pet just a certain way. And sometimes you, 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 you can't pet them that way and you want to pet them against the grain. Well, instead of being like that cat who says, no, you need to, Lord, you need to pet me just a certain way. We need to be willing to turn around if we need to. We need to submit to his leadership and guidance. How many times, though, do we say, Lord, I'll obey you, but not in this area. Lord, you can have this, but you can't have that. Look, if we're really truly friends of God, we're going to be willing to sacrifice for him. We're going to be willing to submit to his authority in our life. <coughs> and the things that he's commanded us to do, we're going to be willing to obey. Friend of God expresses that friendship through submitting to him, remembering that he never changes. And so we see the expression of our friendship. It's expressed through sacrifice and through submission. Number four, quickly this, this morning, the exclusiveness of our friendship. The exclusiveness of our friendship. Verse number 15. Henceforth, I call you not servants. 
For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. How many of you have ever experienced VIP treatment? Would you raise your hand? We have. Um, back when I was working <coughs> as an assistant pastor in California, we were running commercials there in the local television market uh, for our church. And uh, I was the one responsible for communicating with the, uh, the account executive there at the cable company. And they would oftentimes get uh, tickets to local sporting events. And one day she, um, she called me up and she said, hey, I have, I have four tickets to the, to the Ducks game tonight. And the Ducks, if you don't know, are a professional hockey team in uh, Southern California. And, uh, and if you don't know this, I am a big hockey fan, and I always welcome any opportunities to go to a hockey game. And so she said, do you know anybody interested in those tickets? And I said, yes, I do. <laughs> Me! <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, she said, okay, great. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get you the information. I'll email you it all over, and we'll, we'll get that situated. And I said, great. And uh, basically, these were, these were tickets we'd have to pick up at Will Call. I didn't know what these tickets were. And so we go and to Will Call, pick up these tickets, and they said, okay, sir, yes, you, uh, you, you get to go in one of the suites. And I was like, sweet. <laughs> and uh, so I took my wife, and uh, I don't remember who else, but um, we, went, we went and uh, got one into the suite, and they said, oh, yeah, there's... You get to sit here, and, and there's like your own private bathroom, and then, and then all the food, they had the buffet all spread out, and they're like, yeah, all you can eat, and all you can drink. Enjoy the game. I was like, whoa, this is, this is the way to watch a hockey game right here. This was great. Having a VIP treatment, and of course, it wasn't because I was special. It was because uh, the person above me uh, let me go to this thing. Well... Here in verse 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, look, I, I don't want to just call you servants. Though, though yes, you are servants. Because he says, look, the, the servant only knoweth or doesn't know what, what his Lord doeth. But I want to call you friends. I want to give you this exclusive relationship with me. I want you to have this VIP treatment. And then he goes on to say, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. He said, look, if you were just a servant, I wouldn't have shared all this stuff that I've just shared with you in the, in the last several hours. The things that I'm about to do and the things were, uh, about where I'm going and, and how to get there, I wouldn't have shared that with just a servant. I've shared them because you're my friends. So here Jesus is telling his disciples that, yes, they were servants of the Lord, but more than that, they were his friends. And as, as a friend, there are some exclusive benefits of that relationship. He's giving them privileged information. I mean, have ever been like taken aside or in a special room? Hey, close the door. I need to tell you something very private, exclusive. You're like, oh, I'm all ears. <laughs> Hopefully it's some juicy information, you know, that everybody else wants to know. Um, well, that's kind of what Jesus is doing with these disciples there in the upper room. I mean, they're in a special location. And he's sharing with them some very important information. Look, the whole word of God is special. And God has made it known to us in the fact that we have access to the Bible. 
As true friends of God, we'll take the time to find out what He has said in His Word. God will make things clear to those who take the time to study, take the time and the effort to put the work in to know what God says. A friend of God will take the time to do that. How have you been doing with that? God's given you some special, exclusive information. Are you faithful to get alone with God and say, what do you have to say? Because I want to know. I'm your friend, and I want to know what you have to say for me. Uh, We're too busy for that. Okay, well, you're missing out on the greatest VIP benefit of being a friend of God, and that is knowing what he has to say. Don't forgo that access. It'd be kind of like, well, that's great. I have these tickets to the suite with an all-you-can-eat buffet, but um, can I trade these in for the nosebleeds? How ridiculous would that be? What fool would do that? No, but you know what a lot of Christians do? I know that you have a lot of things in here for me to say, but I'm just going to rely upon my own understanding. I'm just going to kind of do life on my own and figure it out. And I'll learn the experiences and that'll be enough. You're forgoing a tremendous resource that God wants you to have. Take the time to study it. Take the time to learn it. Take the time to know it and to live it out. The exclusiveness of our friendship. And then number five, and quickly, the effect of our friendship. Verse number 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of my Father in my name, he may give it you. You see, our friendship with God should have an effect on us, and it should cause us to, first of all, to produce fruit in our lives. Well, what kind of fruit? Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, temperance, meekness, and all of those. It should produce that. The fruit, the fruit or we, the effect of our friendship should produce the fact that we're uh, producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, that people around us know, hey, they're different. And you know, just like a fruit, just like an orange, if I had an orange up here and I squeezed it, what would come out of that? Orange juice. If I had a grapefruit, and how many like grapefruits? Would you raise your hand? Those are gross. I'm just saying. If we had a grapefruit up here and we squeezed that, grapefruit juice would come out. If we had grapes... That is a good fruit, by the way. If we had grapes and we smashed those, grape juice would come out. And apples, apple juice. You see, life is going to squeeze us and put pressure on us. And when that happens, what's going to come out of our lives? Is it the fruit of the flesh or is it the fruit of the Spirit? And when you're a true friend of God and you're walking with Him and spending time with Him, what's going to come out is the fruit of the Spirit. But also, not only fruit of the Spirit, but also souls, other Christians. We begin to reproduce ourselves, spiritually speaking. Now, don't let that be a creepy thing. The idea is that we're just taking the gospel and and sharing with those around us. And and, and they get saved, and they become a Christian, and then they take that, and, and they share that message with those around them. That's the kind of fruit we're to also produce. He says in verse 16, go bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. So not just someone who, you know, oh yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm a Christian and then you never see him in church and you never, uh, they never talk to you again. 
That's not the type of fruit. We're talking about fruit that remains. So the effect of our friendship should cause us to produce fruit and then also should cause us to pray to the Father in the last part of verse 16. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. So we're to pray how in the name of Jesus and not just, by the way, putting the tag at the end of your prayer. A lot of times when we pray, we'll say, in Jesus' name, amen. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing to do. I do it often, but that's not necessarily what it necessarily means to pray in Jesus' name. It means to pray according to the will of Jesus, and that matches up with the name of Christ. And look, we have this special access to the Father through Christ. Let's use that access. I have in my wallet this morning a special pass. I think it's in my wallet. Yeah, here it is. Zoo Friends member, Eric Johnson. I am a family level, I have the family level membership. That means that I could go to the Oklahoma City Zoo as many times as I want, but listen, it expires 10-31-2019. It expires in a month. You know how many times we've been to the zoo? I've been probably three or four times since we got this last year. We have access to something far greater than the zoo. We have access to the Heavenly Father through Christ. How many times have you used that access in the last week? Well, I've been busy. Oh, too busy to pray? Too busy to come into the presence of the Father? So the effect of our friendship to, should cause us to produce fruit and should cause us to come to the Father in prayer. Let's wrap it up this morning and we'll be done here in a moment. When you think about life, what really satisfies? What really brings true joy and fulfillment in our lives? Is it possessions? I mean, if you just had that new car, if you had that shiny new device, if you had that nice house that you've always been wanting, maybe it's just simply more money. Then that would bring true and complete satisfaction. Well, most of us know that once you get those things, yes, you're happy and enjoy it for a little while, and then the, the shine starts happening. You get that scratch on your, on your phone or on that car, and you're like, ah! So do possessions really satisfy? Maybe it's popularity. I mean, if, if everyone looked up to me and if everyone uh, wanted to be my friend, then I would be satisfied. Then I would be happy. Maybe it's power. Maybe if I could just call all the shots and make all the decisions and choose to control my life, if I had that power, then I would be happy. Well, there was a man in the Bible named Solomon, and he had all of those things. He had possessions. He had popularity. He had power. He had pleasure. He had it all, and he had it to the full. He had more than anyone could ever want. So Solomon, you must have been totally fulfilled, right? Solomon, you had all this world to offer. You arrived. You had it all. Tell us, Solomon, how you feel. Well, you know what Solomon said? He said in his own words, this is what he said, Then I looked on all the works that my hands 
had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. He said, I, I had, and you read it, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he goes through the list of the things that he had in his life. He had everything that most people in this world are chasing, and he had it. He had gotten it all, and he said, look, it's all empty. It's not able to satisfy. It's not able to bring real fulfillment. And at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. You see, Solomon came to the conclusion that none of the things of this world can truly bring satisfaction, that only a relationship with God would bring true joy and fulfillment in life. In other words, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his and have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I'd rather have Jesus and men's applause. I'd, I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. Oh, I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. Why? Well, because he's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out of the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. Oh, I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. It was Jesus who said in John chapter 15, verse number 11, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Psalm 16, verse 11, the psalmist said, Thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So sir, ma'am, teenager, stop chasing the things of this world and thinking that they will bring satisfaction. I'm here to tell you this morning, based on the authority of the word of God, the only way you can have true lasting joy and fulfillment in this life is through a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Will you be a friend of God? Will you be a friend of God today? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for Your love for us. Thank You for desiring for us to be Your friends. What an honor to be a friend of God. And how special of a relationship that is. Help us to realize that that's the way. That, that relationship, that friendship with Christ is the only way we can truly have lasting fulfillment and joy and, and satisfaction in this life. The things of this world will come woefully short and woefully empty. Lord, I pray if there's one here today that does not yet know you as their Savior and their Lord, I pray that today they would make the decision to trust you as their Savior. Lord, I pray for those of us who do know you as Savior, that you would help us to be a good friend of God. Help us, Lord, to express that friendship through sacrifice and through being simply obedient to the things that you say to, to do. Help us, Lord, to be willing to sacrifice as well. And Lord, may we, as a result of our friendship, produce much fruit. And may we also 
uh, take advantage of the access we have to the Heavenly Father through prayer on a regular basis.